Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get. For just $2 a month, that is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Jen Gerson. Co-founder of The Line, freelance journalist, former Canada Land host. All around troublemaker, despised by thousands. Jen, today on the show, the irresistible charm of Pierre Polyev. And boy, is it ever irresistible. We'll try to resist. Also, the Toronto Star's new CEO might be a bit of a lunatic. Uh, We'll discuss whether or not that matters. Welcome back to Shortcuts, Jen, where we talk shit about the news. Cool. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to everyone by Shay Hunt, Judy Nordermere, Margaret Ann Enders, Alexandra Nelson Latendra, April Rose, Jasper Kakuk, Tara S., and... Justin. My name is Justin. I'm a special education teacher in Toronto. I am proud to support Canland because of the investigative journalism, particularly Thunder Bay, as well as for the debate shows. Uh, Fama Syed's work on Backbench is incredible, and it continues to be my favorite podcast. Thank you. Keep up the great work. Five thousand in Edmonton. Wow! Six thousand in Calgary. Fifteen hundred in Vancouver. A thousand plus in Windsor, Ottawa, and other Ontario communities. All there to see Ontario MP Pierre Poilievre. Thank you, thank you. Hundreds turning out to hear his populist message. Be enough, be enough. 
promising things like axing the carbon tax and ending all COVID restrictions. If you've been introduced to Polyev through news clips over the past year, you know him as an attack dog. Who exactly is Pierre Polyev? Jen, how would you describe how Pierre Polyev looks? Well, his nickname's Skippy. <laughs> and uh, he comes across as the type of guy who was really into politics at 17, passionately joined the local like conservative um, youth league in order to debate, and then just never really grew out of that persona. That's very apt. He, he looks like a student council conservative. Yes, yeah, student council conservative. Yeah, that's right. Like trying to play grown up. Like, mm-hmm. But that's still like a reference point for people like with a certain political context. Like, how would you describe how he looks? He looks like he should be helping Principal Rooney collect evidence against Ferris Bueller. <laughs> Pierre Polyev looks like he should be trying to cleanse the Reich of swing dancing. Ooh, plan a fire on that one. All right. Pierre Polyev looks like he should be foreclosing on Adam Sandler's grandma's house. <laughs> Pierre Polyev looks like Peter Parker in an alternate Spider-Verse where Peter Parker accidentally kills Uncle Ben and becomes Dr. Octopus instead of Spider-Man and then is killed himself by Peter Parker. Elaborate. Elaborate. He's just brutally uncharismatic. Like, he is spectacularly unlikable. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I mean, like, he's he's attracting more people to his leadership rallies than I think most political observers have ever seen attracted to a leadership rally. So obviously there's something remarkably charismatic and likable about the guy, just not to you or anyone listening to this podcast. Well, I think a lot of different people listen to this podcast, and I will admit that he does have this kind of reverse appeal, this sort of anti-charisma. It's strange, Jen, for a politician to seem to be so indifferent to whether or not they're likable. Like, it's kind of unique that he's not pandering, he's not preening, he's not solicitous. He doesn't seem needy. He does, like, he, he's just like, meh, this is who, like, I'm, I'm Pierre Polyev. I'm going to poke you with this hot stick again and again and again. How many emergency refo- response benefit checks have been sent to people whose applications have been flagged as fraudulent? How many? How many? He's now claiming that all 7.7 million? That's crazy. The department is reported to have given out 200,000. So is the number 200,000 the correct number of checks that have been sent out to people whose applications have been red flagged as fraudulent? Yes or no? CBC is saying that prisoners are receiving the check. They can't have lost their job. They were already in prison. Simple question. How many prisoners have received the checks? And there's something like kind of compelling or refreshing about somebody who just does not seem to be... Yeah, it's almost like he is consciously the anti-Trudeau. I think you nailed it. Like he first kind of struck me as somebody who I might have underestimated during the Wee scandal when he went head to head with Trudeau at committee. Let's hear a little bit of that. Well, then tell me what it is. uh, My mother has uh, has just the dollar figure uh, throughout her life. The dollar uh, figure, Prime Minister. In various ways and is uh, proud of the work that she's done. And I'm proud of how much Uh, I'm looking for a dollar figure. How much? Answer the question. Yes or no. Yes or no, Mr. Prime Minister? Yes or no? He's done that on a number of occasions, and it's almost like this prosecutorial cross-examination. It's almost like a journalist's work, except like the questions are very loaded, and he often will choose a question that puts government in an impossible position, like, how many fraudsters are you paying CERB money to? I want the number. 
you know, like the number exists. There is some number greater than zero, but of course they don't have that number. It's always a little bit silly because it's like you're hiding something. It's like, well, we actually don't have, like, why would we have that specific number? But it's, I don't know, it's effective political theater. The other one that I would say is highly effective political theaters when he basically uh, took a strip off of Kearney. Well, go try to give that answer back in Alberta because I grew up there I too, and I can tell times, you the I, people. Yeah. yeah, I can tell you the people of Alberta tell, tell would be what, ashamed the, with the answer you just gave. You uh, would give billions not, no, of dollars, no, billions of dollars Mr. to Paul foreign Mr. pipelines Mr. while not allowing Canadians to build pipelines so, here at home. Uh, that is the are, kind of elite Davos hypocrisy. Could I, could I please, Madam Chair? This is really unbecoming of a member to badger any witness. This is really, truly unacceptable. This is when there was a lot of rumor that Carney was going to be making a play for uh, a seat and or potentially a leadership to um, upend Trudeau before the last election. And he appeared before committee and like Pierre just basically tore him apart, just destroyed him. And like shortly after that, (laughs) Carney was like, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get back into politics. (laughs) (laughs) He's effective at what he does. He's effective at finding the heart of any particular issue and absolutely poking it until it bleeds. And I think that after several years of kind of bumbling, visionless, conservative leadership, there is definitely a base within the party that is perfectly happy to just pick an absolute fucking asshole who they think can win. Now... That's where this takes us. It's like you've got a guy who plays to the base and he's just like he's the pricky one on your side. He's not your charismatic leader. But that all changed because I think that the guy is really smart. And I think that a very difficult thing in Canadian conservative politics. And again, this is area an area where you'll be able to correct me if I got this wrong. I got a general sense of it, which is that like that which works within the party is not enough. Like, you've got to find a way to tap into something greater and beyond the party. But if you're not careful about that, and if you're too populist, you'll get your hands burned. You're falling into the trap of a lot of people who assume that the Conservative Party is one uniform, monolithic thing that believes a thing, that the base is one thing. The people right now who I think are most opposed to Polyev aren't necessarily the people outside the party who are looking at this guy's rise. The people who are most concerned about Polyev's rise right now are a lot of people within the Conservative Party who desperately fear that the rise of this populist wing is going to essentially destroy the party from within and going to give power to this whole faction that they can't now control or necessarily use to useful governing ends. I think he gave comfort to aspects of the base, you know, like he may be a prick, but he's our prick being the, you know, like a good guy to have on your corner. That doesn't make him a leader who's going to have like wider appeal. And he needed to make some kind of a shift and shift his image. And he did something kind of audacious that I think a lot of conservatives were afraid to do. He broke rank with his party's leader and he embraced the trucker convoy. Yeah. This is a rally for truckers, but it's also a rally for the 60% of Canadians who say they worry they can't afford food. It's for the 60-year-old small businessman who spent his entire adult life building up an enterprise and watching it wiped out. It's for the depressed 14-year-old who's been locked out of school. Freedom, not fear. Truckers, not Trudeau. Jen, 
that was the moment where I thought this guy, he's gunning to take the head off of his own leader and he's probably going to be the next leader of the party. Yeah, and he might very well be the next leader of the country at this rate. It's a very hard thing that I think he may have succeeded in, which is like, how do you harness the populist power of that Freedom Convoy movement without burning your hands on a swastika? Yeah, and this has always been the problem with populism. And again, here I'm going to force you to be less than shallow. This has been a debate within the Conservative Party for 20, 30 years. Traditionally, within the conservative ranks, you had like the Preston Manning types who always believed that populism was a vital energy for conservative parties and that there's a deep democratic sort of political new there that mainstream conservative parties needed to be able to connect with and tap into in order to maintain their relevance to Canadians. And to Preston Manning's credit, you know, this was a man who came from nowhere and basically built an actual political party. And then on the flip side of that, you had the Stephen Harper wing of the party who was like, yeah, no, because like that can also eat you. You get eaten by the dragon you ride in on. And, you know, to actually masterfully tap that populist energy and then channel it into mainstream political functions is incredibly difficult and you can very easily lose control over your party if you can't do that effectively. I mean, if you want to talk about a leader who's struggling with that very issue right now, I would look at Jason Kenney in Alberta, you know, who came into Alberta. We're going to kick the socialists out. The socialists are responsible for all of your economic woes. I'm going to go drive around the province in a giant blue pickup truck to show how what, how much I'm one of you. You know, two years later, this guy is barely struggling to hold on to his, his own leadership because he wasn't populist enough with a lot of the anti-COVID type people, type measures with his own base and, and, and is now very likely looking at a, a leadership review in which he's going to barely scrape by if he scrapes by at all, and will probably lose the next election as a result of it. Harper made it work because he managed to absolutely clamp down on the crazies in his party and demand just total decentralized control within it. No leader of the conservative party has been able to um, follow in Harper's path ever since. You know, it might be about principle, about certain conservatives saying, you know, like, we don't want to win that way and you'll lose your soul if you fire with the devil's bullets. Or it just might be the establishment. Uh, you know, Jean Charest, I can't quite tell when he like lectures Evan Solomon about how Polyev's embrace of the trucker should be disqualifying. Is this his morals and his soul, or is this just him saying, like, this is just a bridge too far? We can't have these yahoos in our party. No, 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 no. He no. says he supports oh, freedom. Excuse, excuse me. I mean, d d were you mistaken? I mean, he actually didn't support the blockade. What you saw, what he did was... He was, was out there, he was out no, there with he, the truckers. You, you sound like you drank the Kool-Aid here. And if you say to Canadians, I want to be the leader of the Conservative Party, and I want to be the chief legislator of the country, but I don't have to obey the laws, I'm sorry. That's not just a failure in leadership, it disqualifies you. But I do think that there is like the Harper connection, and that's who I think Pierre learned under. It's about building that tent, and can you rope in those elements without being co-opted by them? And it's not just about uh, the truckers. You know, a lot of it is about the inroads the conservatives have made with various ethnic communities. So you, I, I'm, I'm watching Pierre's like social media feed and he's, you know, the usual things like reaching out to Sikh communities, reaching out to conservative aspects of the Chinese community, reaching out to the Jewish community. Um, and, and he's really trying here. Shalom and Chag Pesach Sameach. And Jen, he was so close. He got the huh on Chag and Sameach 
but he called it Pesach. He's trying. He's trying, Jesse. He's trying really hard. There is no path to victory for the Conservative Party if it can't successfully reach out to ethnic communities in this country. That is something that Harper learned that has been well established. So one of the reasons why the, the, the party lost as badly as it did to Trudeau was because it did embrace the anti-Nakab stuff, the anti-Muslim stuff. It did go down that dark path. It's never been able to regain the trust of some of those communities ever since. That's been a lesson that's actually been well understood and well learned within the Conservative Party. Like there's no path to victory here if you're a party of white people. He's figuring out more than that. There are more minorities than ethnic communities. He has effectively tapped into bro dudes. And again, I credit this guy with it with a certain amount of brilliance here because there are so many powerful dude bro communities that you could really fuck yourself up with other communities if you go too deep. And so like, what is your angle for tapping into this incredible online political energy? Crypto. Crypto. Which is brilliant. If you think it's, it's actually, it's strategically really smart. It's so smart because there's a huge Venn diagram overlap with all kinds of really, really shady philosophies and theories and, and from everything from like hyper capitalistic, you know, Ayn Rand. And he is just ingratiating himself on a bunch of crypto YouTube channels and crypto podcasts. There's this video of him like smoking a shisha with a guy with a crypto show. Firstly, this is this is ideologically really smart because like you can go to like the anti-government libertarian sort of like, I don't trust Ottawa vibe on the crypto stuff. And also it's tapping into crypto at a moment when crypto's having a moment, right? Crypto is sort of emerging into the mainstream. It also taps into the crypto stuff that happened during the trucker convoy, right? Like a lot of those crypto wallets, when the federal government tried to freeze bank accounts of people who were allegedly involved in some of the trucker convoy stuff, a lot of those crypto wallets just said, no, <laughs> we can't, we, 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 we literally can't do that. So, um, I mean, he's going in and saying some economically silly stuff like crypto's a hedge against inflation. I kind of understand what he's trying to say with that, but I mean, it's silly. You're right. I think that most of his take here is strategic, right? He's trying to tap into this youthful dude bro-y kind of energy in a way that isn't tainted with allegations of racism or just extreme misogyny. I want to interrupt you before you explain the blockchain to me, because you wouldn't be the first to try it. I, I refuse. Okay. I just hear it as a dog whistle. People vote on very personal and emotional. What he's saying to these guys, like, my wife and I, we go to bed watching your crypto YouTube show. You know, like, that just speaks to a lot of people. Like, this guy who is so hard to relate to. Like, that guy, that 15-year-old on student council was a weirdo. Like, he, like who cares that much about politics at 15? Like, it's a, that's not a popular guy. And yet, he is very skillfully figuring out ways to ingratiate himself to all kinds of different communities. Jen, let's wrap this with the big question, because I do think, unless you feel otherwise, that like Sheree is going to fail in appealing to the, the heart and soul of conservatism and decency. Patrick Brown, same thing, like, come on, that's, that's tainted goods anyhow. I think it's going to be Pierre Polyev as the conservative leader, but then he's got to take his brand to a general election. He's got to take his brand to, like, liberal voters, too, and he needs some of them. Can this guy win? I think he can, and the reason why I'm going to say this is because the timing is in his favor. You're going to have this guy going to a general election when people have had X number of years of Trudeau. I mean, bluntly, the fact that Trudeau's won the last two elections is a minor fucking miracle. They're going to be very, very sick of Trudeau. I don't think Trudeau is going to give up power to Freeland or anybody else like that before the next election. I think the governing party is quite stale. So you're going to have this fresh anti-Trudeau face coming up at exactly the moment 
when people are going to be most sick of the of the liberal party and all of its shenanigans and it has shenanigans and then i think at the same time the left is going to make the same mistake that it very often does with politicians that it doesn't like and that is it's going to overreach it's not going to go and say this guy is an absolute unlikable asshole who's playing on your fears of inflation they're going to go in and they're going to be like this guy's a racist nazi and there will be enough canadians who have heard that particular tactic before that they're going to roll their eyes Mm -hmm. and they're going to look at what this guy is actually saying and be like, you know what? I don't like inflation either. They're going to dig up all of his most ugly statements and, and, and positions. Pierre is going to double down on every single one of them, but they're going to overreach in the way that they always do. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away, but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Jen, it's been a minute, but uh, you know how this is done. We duly note that, which should be and must be duly noted. What do people need to know more about? People need to know more about Canada's shakedown of big tech. I'm going to shamelessly self-promote and note some columns that especially Peter Menzies, um, who was formerly on the CRTC board, uh, has been writing for us the line specifically about some of the policies that liberal government's going to try and bring in uh, to, quote unquote, save media. Uh, Jess, you've been writing about a lot of this in the Twitter space. You know, we've been writing about this in the line. The policies they're going to bring in to save media are policies that are intended to permanently essentially graft legacy media to a dependency on organizations like Google and Facebook, as opposed to trying to, you know, build and maintain their dependency, their financial dependency on an actual audience. And you and I are totally of the same mind on this, that it's anti-competitive. And also it really hurts startups like yours and mine. It means that 
you know, people who are principled and refuse to take government handouts and government money and who don't want to participate in these in these schemes are fundamentally disadvantaged. So it's bad. And I'd like to duly note it. Well, I think Menzies is, a, is a, an important voice on this because like one aspect of this is putting the Internet under CRTC regulation. And that's not what the CRTC is there for. Like it's there to regulate public airwaves because there's a limited amount of bandwidth, a limited amount of radio frequency, TV channels like the internet solves that problem. So why should the CRTC? So to have the f- a former CRTC regulator say this is a bad, bad, bad idea is a voice very much worth uh, reading. So check out the line uh, duly noted, Jen. I have one. This is a, a tweet from Health Quebec. On April 13th, they tweeted a bunch of charts saying here is the situation with COVID-19 today. And there was a, uh, a link in the tweet And it was observed that if you follow that link through, you found yourself on a Pornhub video for a a foot fetish. (laughs) That's awesome. It's so great, Jen. (laughs) I love Quebec so much. It reminded me of like, like the only thing that gave me any joy in the early days of the pandemic was when they instituted the curfew in Quebec. And a couple, you remember this? They were hit with a fine, a curfew violation fine. You were allowed to go out after curfew if you were walking your dog. And this woman was fined because she had her husband out on a leash. (laughs) (laughs) Good love, Quebec. That's great. That's awesome. I love you, this filthy province. God bless you. Duly noted. All right, Jen, um, I want to talk about the new CEO of Torstar. You used to work for the Toronto Star, yeah? Oh, yeah. Back when time was young and I was too, I suppose. Yeah. They had a youth section and you were a youth columnist in the youth section. Which is <laughs> just, just hysterical to think about now. I had my my finger on the pulse of the youth, appealing to the youth, getting those youth into the newspaper. Look, if not for your important work in that section, Star Touch might have never happened. Oh, don't blame me for Star Touch, man. <laughs> that is not my fault. Nothing about me had anything to do with Star Touch. No, I can't I can't lay that one on you. No, you cannot. A lot has changed since Jen was a youth columnist. A lot has changed at Torstar. Uh, ownership has changed. There's new CEO, Marina Glogovac. Our intrepid editor, Jonathan Goldsby, tweeted some discoveries from her timeline when she was named CEO of Torstar. Notably... She compared Ontario under Doug Ford to a communist regime due to vaccine passports. She said that she would refuse to enter any business that required a passport. She tweeted that society during the pandemic is undergoing a sinister process of, quote, mass formation, a psychological phenomenon that enables totalitarianism. You may uh, have heard about that theory on Joe Rogan's podcast. And Jen, um, the new CEO of Torstar said that what is happening right now is that our government is being captured by a, quote, massive corrupt drone corporation uh, with reference to Pfizer. I think this is the scamdemic philosophy. Well, firstly, I think that we should first and foremost thank Jonathan Goldsby. What would we do without Canada's very own Twitter hall monitor keeping track of all of the world's bad tweets in order to hold people to account. What a wonderful and valuable service Goldsby is pushing for, for, the, for the good of humanity in Canada right there. I think that he is performing a valuable public service and that tweets are just public statements and when powerful people- It's very important that we hold a multiple day pile-on session for this woman's kooky tweets. That's, that's the, 
massively important work being done there. I will defend Goldsby or any journalist in keeping extensive files on the public statements of important and powerful people, but I will debate with you, and I think it's subject to debate, whether or not it matters. Okay, there's two issues here. One is there there is no debate that somebody in a position, a public position as a CEO, could hypothetically make statements on Twitter that would be so beyond the pale, so beyond the Overton window, that they would be an immediately a firing offense. Okay, like, like if, if, if we were to uncover, for example, that this woman had made comments denying the Holocaust or something of that nature, there would be no debate that that would be inappropriate and she should be fired. And we like that that would be uh, unquestionable because her tweets would reflect so poorly on the company as a whole, that she would be unable to serve her function as a high-ranking public official within that company. But these comments, of course there are comments that should be obvious. Of course, of of course there are. There's some stuff, you, you can't be a CEO if you say some stuff. Do the comments meet that standard? Yeah. All right? Do those standards meet like Holocaust denial level nonsense? And I, my argument would be no. I think that, that they're kooky. I think I give a a slight sort of empathetic pass to somebody who has been raised in a communist environment, as she claims to have done. I think that people who come from communist environments tend to be a little bit hypersensitive to government overreach. So I give her a little bit of, of a human pass on that front. I think that she's bought into some theories that would put her on the outside of of where most people in Toronto are at, probably outside of where most Toronto Star readers are at. But I do think that there is a plurality of people in this country who are concerned about, you know, issues like government overreach, who do listen to Joe Rogan, who um, are concerned about the kind of creepy totalitarian shit that we've seen emerge during this pandemic. So I don't think that she's like wildly outside the realm of where literally all Canadian opinion spectrum is. I do think that she wouldn't be necessarily well received at a downtown Toronto progressive dinner party. But it's not a dinner party that people are feeling protective of. It's it's like the last big uh, left-leaning newspaper in Canada. Yeah, and that brings us to the secondary issue. And that is, what kind of opinions do you want someone in that position, a CEO, a tour star, to be holding? And I mean, my position on all of this has always been bluntly, I don't really care. A CEO's role, a tour star, and this I think is probably not well understood, a CEO's role is not to direct editorial. That That's not her job. It's not her job to be going down to the newsroom and being like, I really want us covering mass formation psychosis. Her job is to cover the business side. That's it. Her job is to is to deal with the money shit. <laughs> and and there the twain these two people shall meet. Do her opinions disqualify her from being able to credibly run the business? No, not unless enough people cancel their subscriptions that her opinions basically make running the business impossible because her presence is losing the company revenue. Here's where I'll I'll be the one to say, let's go beyond the surface here and look at this with a bit more nuance. I would modify your statement when it comes to the opinions of, of a CEO of a newspaper, you don't care. My position is when it comes to the opinions of the CEO, I don't want to know what they are. Yeah, that would be a better, more effective way of saying it. Yes, that's right. It's our job to report on this stuff, and I think it's certainly worth reporting on. And just as Jonathan Goldsby reported on when the new owners of the star, John Batove and Paul Rivett, became the new owners, the fact that they had given maximum donations to conservative candidate after conservative candidate. Legitimate story. It's a legit story, and yet I was a little concerned when I see that people link to that 
every single week again and again as proof that the Toronto Star is now captured by the conservatives. It's just not true. <laughs> no. Like, if you think that that's how it works, you don't understand newspapers. They're not in the newsroom dictating editorial. Well, here's where I would get more nuanced, because... It's not like that never, ever, ever in a million years happens. Except when they do. Yeah. Ex except when well, it does. Yeah. yeah. Look, on a day-to-day -day basis, are the, the executive class in the newsroom dictating editorial? Absolutely not. Does it, on very rare occasions, happen? Yes. And it happens, for example, I would say, like, like um, this is also something that's, that's, that I think is not particularly well understood and needs to be, and that is the unsigned editorial section of the op-ed page is designed to be the voice of the ownership of the newspaper. 99 times out of 100, it's just written by your average everyday workaday columnists and minions who are, who are punching out these unsigned editorials. But that section specifically exists so that if the owner wants to come down from on high and say, I have an opinion on this, that is his place to do so, her place to do so. That happens in, on occasion, and that particularly does happen, and it can be rather controversial, for example, when an ownership will weigh in on an unsigned editorial endorsement, which happens every election. Now, that is part of newspaper tradition. So let's, let's accept some nuance in all of that. The fact that the owners of the Toronto Star donated to the Conservatives is relevant when you consider the fact that when you know it's going to be them get, having a say in unsigned editorial endorsements. You know, that's, that's relevant. Is that going to affect the day-to-day -day coverage of the newspaper? No, absolutely not. That is that is all handled at the, at the editorial level. And I think another thing that people don't understand about how newspapers work is that the money people don't give a shit. <laughs> like, the, the, the money people see the editorial paper as a necessary but expensive appendage for creating the unfortunate content that is required to sell the lucrative advertising. It's so strange. Like It feels like we're talking about the rules of a bygone, like well, well, William Randolph Hearst wouldn't buy the newspaper. 100%, yes. If he, if he couldn't come down from his golden cloud and say a, a note from our publisher on the op-ed page, but that's where he's constrained and we, we don't want to see him. Look, all of this is, is totally for cock now. Like it's totally, it, it's, it's a yes. whole new world. You know, in the old days, yes, you would say they bought it to sell ads and make money. Who buys a newspaper to make money off ads? Totally. You know, I mean, now it's more of a prestige play. And also, like, nobody reads the unsigned editorials anymore. No. Nobody cares. It's got no influence. And I mean... In some other conversation, I would be pushing back to say, look, a lot of powerful people buy money losing newspapers to use it as an organ to push forth their policy interests for their other businesses. That's like what the Irvings did. That's what a lot of people did. And yep. We should yep. be very suspicious of the new wacko owners of Torstar, except, yeah, this is very different than five incompetent families who hold the Atkinson principles to their chests and drive the business into the ground. But it's also not a cabal of conservative influence. It's not that the political leanings of ownership don't matter. It's just unclear at this point that they've made a bit of difference or have affected Toronto Star's ability to be the voice, not just of left-leaning, but of like capital L liberal politics in Canada. I think it sort of remains that newspaper. Maybe it's weaker. The past three or four publishers of the Toronto Star went off to get liberal appointments. Yeah. The extent to which the Toronto Star is now kind of like part of the Liberal Party establishment may be different. And, and maybe that's the notable thing about this. If you were to say, like, what's the biggest threat to the Toronto Star's ability to represent left-leaning politics in, in this country, it's not its ownership. It's the fact that it's losing money. If you can't sustain yourself as a business entity, you can't further a particular ideological agenda, no matter what it is. Especially if you're just among the sheeple during this mass formation phase of the corrupt drone corporation infiltration. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody gets into this industry because they're normal. <laughs>
you know? Well, there you have it, folks. That's Shortcuts for this week. Uh, Jen Gerson, thank you for joining me. Yeah, I need to find We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Uh, I can be emailed at jesse at CanadaLand.com. I do read everything that you send. Uh, Jen, where can people find you these days? Oh, well, you know what? You probably would want to go to the Substack, the line. It's theline.substack.com. Or uh, I'm kind of trying to avoid Twitter lately because Twitter's, you know, owned by Elon Musk and so therefore must be boycotted at all costs. But I'm technically at uh, at Jen Gerson uh, on Twitter. And that's, you know, that's, that's really the only place I want people getting a hold of me. If you've been missing Jen, she's launched her whole new thing. Uh, check out the line. This episode is produced by Aviva Lasard with additional production by Tristan Capicione. Our managing editor is Kieran Oudshorn. Theme music is by So Called. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like what we do and you want to receive ad-free versions of all of our podcasts and support independent journalism in Canada, just click on the link in the show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.